Well, we too want to greet all of you. Welcome to a Big Valley Grace. And uh, for those that are online, welcome. And those over at the venue, glad you're, everybody's with us. And uh, I too, like Joel, if you are at home, we welcome you to come. It's really neat to, to worship here. And you can get a coffee over there. Even though you have it right by your side at home, I would love to have you here in person someday. Today we're going to be talking about a countdown to Calvary. And I believe that every Christian believer, if you want to be more effective and maybe even more powerful in your communication of the gospel, you need to understand a couple things. And even though you don't have it in your nose, I'm going to mention it up front. You can write it down if you want. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is always free. It is always by blood. And it always involves a substitute. And as we take a countdown to Calvary that starts back there in the garden and goes to another garden, we're going to see every step of the way in that countdown. There is blood and there is a substitute and it is free. You see, the good news today is God loves us. The gospel, in a nutshell, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4, where it says these words. Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. And if we believe that by faith, what he has done for us, and we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart, the Bible says very plainly, you have redemption. And we're gonna take that countdown and we're gonna go from the Garden of Eden all the way to the cross of Calvary. The Bible says in John 19, and the place that he was crucified, <clears throat> there was a garden. We read in Ephesians 2 and 16, and one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Galatians 6.14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. <clears throat> and we're going to end that countdown today, and we're going to share communion as we gaze back at up the cross. But I want to tell you about another countdown that took place on July 16th, 1969, about 9.30 in the morning. There was a man called Neil Armstrong, and he climbed aboard a 145-ton missile called Apollo 11. And there, as he was strapped in, later when that countdown launched him into orbit, he went 252,000 miles to the moon, and he walked into every textbook and about every TV on this planet. And when he came back, from countdown to splashdown, about eight days, it was probably one of the most famous acts or feats that a human man has ever had. Apollo 11 landed on the moon. And behind that countdown was hundreds of thousands of hours of planning and procedures and committee meetings and computer work there was an army of technicians that followed him all the way to the moon, stayed in communication with him till he came back. 
It's an incredible feat. And most of you in this room, you've seen it. But this countdown we're gonna look at today far supersedes that one because it involves the destiny of every single soul in this room. The countdown to Calvary. And yet we're living in a society today that says, is the cross really that important? It seems so remote, so distant, it happened such a long time ago, and really what can a cross do for me? In fact, one atheist just screamed out in the newspapers that he says, is God really big enough for man's superior intelligence today? What a dummy. <laughs> and another atheist said these words, God today represents the final fading smile of all the cosmic gases of the universe. Dumb. And there's people, smart people, that follow that kind of trash. And again, in reality, you'll have to admit though, we're living a day in a culture today that even Christians are starting to ignore the cross. And they say, well, I think it is, it's just too much slaughterhouse mentality. There's just too much of that blood that's talked about, folks. Don't ignore the cross. The Western Union Telegram used to have an ad that went like this. Ignore it, you can't. Because a Western Union Telegram compels your immediate attention and it will compel an immediate response. You want action, you send a telegram. Well, the cross of Christ, we cannot ignore it. The Bible makes that very clear in Romans chapter 1. We are without excuse. You may go through all of your life and ignore the cross, reject the cross, but Tim mentioned it, you're gonna bump up against a verse someday and you're gonna bump into him someday because the Bible is very clear that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Christ. You cannot ignore the cross. And it has been on schedule ever since it opened up in the Garden of Eden. There's no mistakes, there's no delays, there's no second guessing, weather was never a factor. And when he climbed aboard that old Roman stick, he was right on schedule to the day and the hour and the second from what it was prophesied. Now when NASA starts its launch or countdown, they have what they call a, a built-in things to their countdown, and they call it T, like T54 days, T53 days, T45 hours, and then it gets down to the minutes, and then it gets down to the seconds, and then there's liftoff. Countdown 10, it began in the Garden of Eden, and we call this T, 4,000 years, and counting to Calvary. The minute Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God set in motion a countdown to Calvary. It involved blood, it involved a substitute, and it, in, it was free. Look what it says in Genesis 3 and 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, 
and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That means someday Jesus was going to come and crush the head of the serpent on Calvary. But at the same time, Jesus was going to be experiencing the suffering that he did as a savior because he was bruised for our iniquities. And in this countdown to 10, something had to die, folks. And somewhere in the quiet hour of Eden, after Adam and Eve partook of that fruit and they sinned and they were disobedient to God, death passed upon all men, and God went out of there in the garden, and I believe he found an innocent lamb. And for the first time, blood was shed. And they took that lamb, and he took the coats and the skins, and they clothed it around the nakedness of Adam and Eve. It was by substitute, it was free, and it was blood. And you will see that mentioned from the Genesis to the Revelation. We call this the law of first mention. Anytime something like this is mentioned, blood, substitute, or sacrifice, every time it's mentioned in the Bible, there will be complete harmony. And all the way to the cross, every one of these countdowns, you will see that it is free, it is by blood, and there is the substitutionary death of somebody innocent. Countdown nine, Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. This is T, 2,000 years and counting. We've already covered 2,000 years. Now you can take the word of God from the Genesis to the Revelation and you can find a lot more scriptures in the countdown. I've picked out nine of them. And here we have Abraham and, and Isaac. It says in Genesis 22 and I read, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, the fire and the wood, they're here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now this is a very tense moment going on here in Mount Moriah. Abraham, by faith, he was gonna trust God. God says, I want you to take your son. I'm gonna have you take him and offer him on a sacrifice. He binds him up, he ties him up, he puts him on the altar with the wood, he takes his bowie knife out, and he gets ready to stab his son. God says, hold it. And he looks over there in the bush, and there was a ram, not a lamb, but there was a ram. There was a substitute, there was a shedding of blood, and it was free. Right here on Mount Moriah. And you know what really sends tingles down my spine? It's 2,000 years from this time and this exact spot. Our Savior climbed aboard a tree called a cross on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah runs through the Garden of Gethsemane all the way to Calvary's Hill. And 2,000 years in advance of this, Abraham and Isaac was a type of that blood, of that free blood, and of that substitute. 
And you're going to see all the Levitical offerings. When you read in the Exodus and Leviticus, you're going to see that Christ was the type of the burnt offering. He was the type of the meal offering. He was the peace offering. He was the sin offering. He was the trespass offering. And every one of those involved what? It involved blood. It involved a substitute. And it was free. And it covered until he come. Until he came. Countdown number eight. This is T, 1,500 years and counting. Every doorpost was covered with blood. <laughs> now here's the setting. The children of Israel been down in the land of Goshen for 400 years. They have been there as slaves. They have been working for pharaohs. They have been really, really beaten into uh, submission. There's nearly 300, there's nearly uh, 3 million of them now. And God heard their cry, and he sing, takes Moses, and he says, Moses, I'm going to give you something for the children of Israel to do. I want you to tell them, and we read in Exodus 12, on that same night I will pass through Egypt. I will strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I am asking you, Moses, to tell the children of Israel, take all 500,000 homes, kill an innocent lamb, put blood all up and down and across the doorpost, and there will be safety in your home. And your firstborn son and animal will not die. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. You see, it's not about the righteousness of any one of those inside their homes. It's about the righteousness of our Father who said to put the blood on the post. I'm gonna give you something I want you to remember, I want you to memorize it, and I want you to keep it in your heart when you share the gospel. It's so basic, it's so simple, but I want you to look at it even for your own life, it's this. <clears throat> The blood makes you safe. Can you remember that? The blood makes you safe. Every single one of those homes that had blood on the doorpost, every single one inside of that home was safe. And when that death angel passed, no one died. The blood makes you safe. But there's something else involved that night. And there's something else involved today with us. The blood makes you safe, but the word of God makes you certain. We do pretty good with the blood. We love to know that our sins are taken care of on Calvary and eternity has been settled forever in my heart. And I know without question, I am, I'm a child of God, but is there certainty in my salvation? Let me prove that to you as we walk into one of those homes back there in Exodus. We walk into a home, they've done everything right. As we walk into the home, we see that blood all over that doorpost, gallons of it, and we walk in there and we notice something. The father is standing there just like the Lord said. He's got his staff in his hand. He's got shoes on his feet. He's got the roasted lamb and the children are sitting around eating it. They're singing, they're happy, they're singing praises to God. They're going to be delivered tomorrow morning. They trusted what the Lord said. 
So we go out of that home, we go into the next house, right next door, and we walk in, they got the same thing, they got the blood on every doorpost, all across the top, the shape of a cross, and we walk in there and we see something different. The dad and the mother is huddled in the corner, whimpering and crying and twilling their hands, and they're nervous. The kids are just picking at the food on the table because they look at daddy and mommy, and no one is happy in this home. No songs are being sung. The staff is in the corner. They're walking around in their socks. Why? They're safe, but they're not certain because they didn't believe what Jesus said, what the Lord said. He said, you're gonna be safe that night, you're gonna be delivered tomorrow, no one's gonna die in your home tonight, just trust what I say. And I would suggest this morning that there is some of you today, no question that you've been redeemed, but there's no enjoyment in your journey. There's no enjoyment in your Christian life. And I would suggest it is in direct proportion of how much time you spend in trusting what the Word says. You read your Bibles every day. Satan has no right, no authority on any one of us. The Bible says fret not yourself because of the evildoers. Bible makes it very clear that he has no grasp, no grip, no domination of any area of your life if you apply the word. It brings us certainty in our walk and enjoyment in our step. Do you know what your title deed is? You all probably know what your wills say and your portfolios hold, but what is your title deed right now? I'm gonna give it to you. It's a part of the word. Memorize it. Maybe it'll lift you up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 22, 23. That is your title deed. This is what it says. Everything is yours. Not something or a little bit. Everything is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. Things present is yours. Things to come is yours. You are Christ and Christ is God's. Folks, you can't beat that title deed. Life here is yours. You can have the enjoyment of the body of Christ and of your families in him. Death is yours. It's nothing but a sting. Has no hold on you whatsoever. Things present are yours for you to enjoy. Things in the future are yours because you have a great home awaiting. It's all yours. You are in Christ and Christ is God's. So when you get depressed and you get down, go read your title deed. Wow. Countdown seven. Blood from the sacrifice of animals. This is T1000 years and counting, and it says over here in Leviticus 17 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. <clears throat> Now we're scooting on. We've gone from the bondage of Egypt to the barrenness of the wilderness, but there's one thing that remains true. It is by blood, it is free, and it involves the innocence of the substitutionary death of an animal. Millions upon millions of gallons ever since God instituted sacrifice have been shed 
for somebody else. In fact, when Jesus was here for 33 years on this planet, he was obedient to the law. He fulfilled it. He lived perfect. That means every year, as a boy, as a teenager, as a man, all the way up till he went to the cross, he went to Jerusalem every year, and he was a part of the Passover. You know what they did at the Passover? Over three million people would come down to this little city of Jerusalem, and there was over 1.2 million animals, they figure, slain every year in Jerusalem as a substitute for the sins of the people. And some secular writers say that the blood was so deep, it was up to their shin bones on the priests. They were slaughtering animals right and left. It was not a permanent remedy, but it was a promised remedy of the one to come. It was Jesus. It was free, it was by blood, and it was a substitute. And yeah, we're living in a culture today that they don't wanna talk about blood anymore. There are churches today that refrain from mentioning blood or repentance. That's a shame. One of the great chaplains of the US Congress was uh, Peter Marshall. And um, when he went on staff as the chaplain of the Senate there, uh, a lady came up to him the first day uh, he was on the job and she took him by the arm and she says, uh, Peter Marshall, please don't talk too much like the blood like the last chaplain did because it is so offensive to so many of us. And this is what Peter Marshall replied. Ma'am, I will assure you, I will not talk too much about the blood because it is impossible to talk too much about the blood. <laughs> I like that. The Bible says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no what? There is no remission of sins. The church better, until he comes back, be talking about the blood of Christ. It is free, it is a substitute, and it is by blood. Countdown six. <clears throat> the 456 passages from the Old Testament, we call this T750 years and counting. And I like this one because you can, that, by the way, that'd be a great homework assignment for the next year or two. 456 passages that speak about the, the death of Christ on the cross and that scarlet thread of redemption that goes all the way to Calvary. And I really like this trail of blood because you don't need the FBI, the CIA, the CIA, the NSA, the M5, or whatever all those are. You don't need this. It's such the bloody footprints are all the way through the scripture. It's easy to follow. But on this one I love because David picks up that trail in Psalm 22 when he wrote these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me so far from my cries of anguish. <clears throat> you see, way back then, David saw his savior on the tree. This is called the cross psalm. 
It is called the, the Psalm or the Hill of Holy Living. In fact, if you take Psalm 22, 23, 24, it's a trilogy of Psalms. It is about the cross, the crook, and the crown. The cross is here about Jesus on the cross. You read that Psalm, it tells everything that he did on the cross, all the way from them gambling about his garments. On the, it's all in there. And then the shepherd's crook, which is a staff, this is about our Savior, Jesus Christ, leading us from the cross. Then the crown is what it says, the king of glory shall come back in. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and someday we're gonna go live with him in glory. So you've got the cross, justification. You've got Psalm 23, sanctification, as we follow him. And you've got glorification, Psalm 24. It's all a part of the countdown. Countdown five. <clears throat> 300 messianic prophecies about Jesus Christ. There's really 323, but 300's a lot. And I love them. They're all through the scripture. The prophecies of the coming Messiah and what he's gonna do and what he's gonna be like, it is so explicit. It is in every detail. But one of my favorites is Isaiah 53, one. Who has believed our message? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed. I read on, but he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. You see the book of Isaiah here, he makes it real clear. The ascetic Jew and a lot of the Jews today will not read, in fact, they've taken Isaiah 53 out of their book. It is so clear that this is speaking about the Messiah. It talks there, he's the slaying one, he's the sorrowing one, he's the smitten one, he's the suffering one, he's the sin-bearing one, he's the silent one that openeth not his mouth, he's a submitted one, he's a satisfied one. What do you mean satisfied? How can you be satisfied going to a cross? Well, that's what the Bible says, Hebrews 12 and two. It was with great joy that he endured the cross despising all the shame. When he set his focus to Calvary and says, Father, I'm willing to go down and take him on the form of a servant, I will love to go to die for the people. I count it great joy to endure the cross. Count down four, T, 30 years and counting. Then Jesus Christ came to earth. <clears throat> Very familiar passage in Luke Two and 10, we'll be hearing that in a couple months. The angel of the Lord said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Jesus came. He came to a stinking stable by way of a silent invasion. Hardly anybody knew about it. He's gonna come back again someday. It's not gonna be a silent invasion. Every eye is gonna see him. They're all gonna hear him. At the end of the tribulation period, the battle of Armageddon, Christ will come back on a white horse. The planet's gonna know about it. I believe we're gonna be raptured out of that before that, but he's coming back someday and it's not gonna be a silent invasion. But here he comes to earth as a baby, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, set up his ministry in the last three and a half years of his life in the town of Capernaum, chose 12 disciples, went out and did all of these 38 miracles, spoke a lot of parables, healed everywhere he went, and he went to the cross. 
But one night, a guy that was scared, one of the leader of the Sanhedrin by the name of Nicodemus, met with him and they huddled in the dark. And this is what Jesus, and he spoke of the cross for the first time. He said these words to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he's pointing to the cross. That brings us to countdown three. The fuse is lit at a campfire meeting, and that campfire meeting is about 70 miles north of Jerusalem, where we call Caesarea Philippi. It is not Caesarea by the coast, it is Caesarea Philippi at the headwaters of the Jordan River, north of the Sea of Galilee. And as they sat there at that campfire meeting, this is what took place in Matthew 16. <clears throat> man, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter blurts out real fast. He said, well, you're the Christ. Well, you got an A plus on that one, Peter. You are the Christ. And from that moment at that campfire meeting in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, and Matthew 18, he says these words. I am going to Jerusalem. I am going to die at the hands of evil men. I am going to die. I'm going to die. I am going to die. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it. And that brings us to countdown two. At the launch pad, the final meetings before liftoff. Now we're down to the final week and the final 24 hours in Luke 19 and 41. And as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's gonna be hidden from your eyes. Very few people living in Jerusalem around uh, the hills of Judea were looking for him. That is telling me that very few people knew the Bible. Because very plain in the Bible, if you had read the Bible, they should have known this exact day that he rode in Jerusalem. Because way back in Nehemiah chapter two, by the reading of the hand of Nehemiah about the edict of Artaxerxes Longimanus, it actually spells out 483 years to the exact day that Jesus is gonna write in. They didn't know the word, folks. Now, we don't know the day or the hour when he's coming back, but you should know the times and seasons because it says don't be ignorant. And we are seeing things happening today that we know it's very close. They missed it. They missed him. Now it's really sad, you take the last 27 chapters, or you take 27 chapters in the gospel, it now records the last eight days here of Christ's life. And right outside, when Jesus is riding in on a donkey, right on the other side of that, that wall, there's a huddle of Satan's um, bad guys. And this is what they're saying. And you can read about Mark chapter 14. They are saying, we gotta kill this guy but we can't do it on the feast day. No, we gotta kill him, but we can't do it on the feast day because of the people. Jesus said, I'm gonna die on the feast day. But we can't do it on the feast day. Jesus said he's gonna die on the feast day. But we can't do it on the feast day 
When do you think he died? On the feast day. He knew, just like back in Exodus chapter 12, it was on the exact day, 14th of Nisan, and now here Jesus rides in, and on the 14th of Nisan is when he climbed aboard an old rugged cross. On the exact day. Countdown one. The kiss of death and the cross of Christ. T, six hours and counting. Bible says in John 19, and now in the place that he was crucified, there was a garden, and in that garden a tomb. And the devil's secret agent man by the name of Judas, he walks into the thing now and he says to the plotters, now guys, we gotta kill him tonight. If you don't kill Jesus tonight, you're never gonna get him. I know, I've been around him for three and a half years. I've been at the campfires with him, I've watched him. I remember one time up in Nazareth, he just kind of disappeared. I seen him get in a boat one day, he disappears. If you don't get him now, if we don't tie him down now, we're never gonna get him. So Judas, along with 300 soldiers, he came and betrayed him, kissed him, and they tied him up, bound him for judgment hall. And now Jesus, on this evening, becomes like a hot potato. Ananias, Caiaphas, Pilate, back and forth and back and forth. It confused Pilate so much that he screams out, this is Jesus Christ. What do I do with Jesus who's called the Christ? I don't know what to do with Jesus who's called the Christ. And here he is, betrayed, went to death on a stick. Between two thieves on either side, the Lord of our life was crucified, and men marveled at that sight so rare, and sitting down, they just watched him there. And ever since that blood-stained day, eyes of men have continued to gaze that way, and they have owned that life is but loss without the blood dripping of an old rugged cross. And you know, I have to stop right here and just ask you a question. If there's anybody here right now you feel like he's caught between a rock and a hard place and, and you really feel sorry for Jesus, don't feel sorry for him. Listen to what he said. No man takes my life from me. I alone have the power to take it down and I have the power to take it up again. He doesn't want our sympathy. He wants our life. And now he's aboard the cross. And the words they crucified him, it doesn't even come close to saying it all. He's up there for six hours. Three hours in the daylight, man doing everything they can, the worst they can to him. And then three hours of darkness when God deals with our sins. Six hours on a cross. And that puts redemption into orbit. And he said, it's finished. No man has ever lived like him. And no man has ever died like him. Guilty, vile, helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full salvation, can it really be? Absolutely, hallelujah, what a savior. And folks, the blood bank was opened 2,000 years ago when redemption went into orbit and it's open still today. It's a blood with a perfect type. Bible says in Hebrews 13 and 20, it says it is the blood from an everlasting covenant. That means it is the perfect type for all. It is not only a blood that is a perfect type, it is a blood for everyone. 
The Bible says in Acts 20 and 28 that the whole church, the body of Christ, the greatest asset on the planet today, the body of Christ, has been purchased by his blood. It's for all. It's not only the perfect type, not only for everyone, but it has been labeled incorruptible. In other words, it'll never fade away. 1 Peter 1. And then he says it is also a blood that is free to those that submit to his transfusion. Romans 5 and 18, the free gift, what? Came unto all men. Justification by the blood came unto all men. Wow. This brings us to a very, very special time that we're gonna have a communion together and we're gonna think about him because he is coming back. But he said in the upper room that night, I want you to be doing these things in remembrance of me. And as the communion team comes forward, this is what we're gonna ask you to do. They're gonna pass out the cup, which is representation of his blood, and they're gonna pass out this bread, which is representation of his body. I want you to keep it, and over in the venue, you keep it too. You keep these, and then we're gonna share them together. And after we share them, we're gonna look back up at the cross, and we're gonna learn some lessons as we think about remembering him. And as these are being passed, we're gonna have a song. <clears throat>